This is the Doing Fine podcast. My name is Asia Kang, and it has been around five months since I've updated this podcast. I launched my trailer and I sort of disappeared because,、um, long story short, I was met with an influx of projects outside of my regular nine to five, and I needed to focus on that. I did go around interviewing a bunch of different artists and mentors, but I couldn't really find time to weave an episode. So fast forward to now, where we're all probably sitting at home in soup-stained T-shirts, hopefully being responsible and practicing your local shelter-in-place order. I finally have time to record and edit. So jumping right to the heart of today's episode, I asked on Instagram what topics people would like to hear addressed through the podcast, and I think I'll be able to go through maybe four or five of those today. Just a general disclaimer. The goals and standards we had for ourselves and the world a few months ago are now nothing but medallions of the past. This is such an odd, turbulent time, so do what feels best for you. If you need time to decompress and think about nothing, it is more than okay to do so. And if you need a project to divert your attention, definitely manifest that. Productivity throughout this time is going to be whatever helps you find more internal peace. And internal peace isn't necessarily. Feeling okay or nonchalant all the time—it's understanding and、um, accepting the different emotions you're harvesting, and being okay with letting it just sit with you for a bit without harming yourself. I wanted to say this because some questions I received are specifically about jobs and navigating sharp career turns, and I didn't want people to misconstrue this as the need to project a hustle mentality right now. Do what makes sense to you. First submission is from anonymously. Hi Asia, how are you keeping up motivation to keep a structure during this time? Thanks. Hi Ananya, it's been so long since I've seen you, so I was extremely happy to hear from you. I've been trying to implement some parts of my old routine to the new normal. Small things like keeping a regular sleep schedule, and I know that sounds super trivial, but it has been actually helping me feel generally more balanced and less anxious. I realized recently. That the nighttime brings more fragrance and enhancement to several thoughts, and it tends to make people a little bit more nostalgic, a little more emotional. And this can be positive, but if you've had an anxiety-induced day, and let's be honest, most of us have been going through that lately, it can cause you to spiral into negativity or even worse, total paranoia. So as the sun sets, I spend some time with family or I FaceTime friends. Um, let's see. I've been cooking a lot with my dad. I've been peeling fruit with my mom and just sharing a bunch of conversations with her. Sometimes our entire family just gathers in the living room to watch K dramas on Netflix together. I also try not to dwell too much on what I would be doing if there wasn't a pandemic, because this is the given reality, and there's really not much we can do to change that. But what we can do is be loyal to the present and choose to see the joy in things in front of us. Some days it's a lot easier said than done, and as much as I put in special effort to routine balance, I've definitely had days where, in the past two months, I'd still feel really empty or sad or hopeless. When this happens, I just kind of write it out and don't try to suppress what I'm feeling. Yeah, I just feel like if I suppress it, it erupts somewhere later on. I've also been seeking a lot of solace by returning to old hobbies like making candles, sewing midi skirts, and I've been reading a lot to expand my world beyond the walls of my house. I think my 
Biggest honorable mention would go to The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. It's a collection of essays that Ross Gay, the author, embarks on to complete over, I think, the time span of a year. Yeah, I think it's a year. Starting from his 42nd birthday, and he tries to encapsulate the delights he encounters each day. Um, these delights range from something as small as the basil in its garden to a stranger's compliment. found this excerpt from the transcript of the podcast On Being with Krista Tippett, where Roski was interviewed, and I felt like this explained his essay best. So Krista Tippett, the host, goes on to say, There's a question floating around the world right now. How can we be joyful in a moment like this? To which Roski responds in word and deed, how can we not be joyful, especially in a moment like this? He is a writer, a gardener, also a former college football player. To be with him is to train your gaze to see what's terrible, but also to see what's wonderful and beautiful, to attend to and mediate on what you love, even with the work of justice. We practice tenderness and mercy in part because to understand that we are all suffering is one quality of what Roske calls adult joy. Roske also says, it is joy by which the labor that will make the life that I want possible. It is not at all puzzling to me that joy is possible in the midst of difficulty. I love how throughout his essay, he acknowledges that there are very, very real adversities in our time. Not everything is cheery and Instagram perfect. And he doesn't promote this type of toxic positivity where you feel like you have to be wonderful and bright all the time or where i've also seen instances of toxic positivity where people think it's okay to just cancel everyone in your life and start fresh that is so unhealthy and you're not taking responsibility for your own actions he doesn't promote that instead he acknowledges that institutionalized racism is real that capitalist exploitation and poverty is very real death and illness is very real but he also helps us understand that because these notions exist, the only way to survive it all is to love with all our force. He goes over why joy shouldn't have to be something that occurs when everything feels perfect, because there will never be a moment like that. Joy is something that grows as you practice it. It's a gaze that we can train ourselves to own, and I think that is so, so powerful. The second question is from Tanzun E. Her design Instagram is sarahm underscore design, S-A-R-A-H-I-M underscore design. Please check her out. I've known Sarah for years, and she is such a dedicated and uplifting illustrator and graphic designer. Sarah asked, I would love to hear your career trajectory plus the trajectory of anyone you decide to interview, how it either surprised you in terms of how it played out or went pretty much as you had planned. I've always been curious to hear if designers ended up where they did by choice or happenstance. So I've always been curious of this too. I have prepared a few interviews with illustrators and designers that dive deeper into their own stories, but I think um, I'll save those for special episodes that revolve around them as individuals or maybe around coordinating themes. As for my own career trajectory, um, I started in fashion and I'm now currently in tech. So a lot of my friends ask me how that transition was. It definitely wasn't a smooth linear path. I graduated with a BFA in illustration and a minor in writing and literature. In college, I interned as a product designer slash surface designer. So I think entering my senior year with that experience 
I was set on making surface design the path to pursue. I remember thinking that the consistency of a 9-to-5 job appealed to me both financially and time-wise, and it still does. So for a while after I graduated, I applied to several several places and got slapped with an equal amount of rejections. But for the companies that I did receive offers, I noticed that they had a very interesting time frame. Um, they had time frame restrictions, meaning that I'd have to remain under a corporation for X amount of time or risk coughing up my bonus later when I quit earlier than the contract. And that limitation actually really intimidated me. Um, I thought, oh wow, I could suddenly develop Wonderlust and want to travel, or I could receive a better offer from another company midway through that job and want to move. And looking back, I don't think it would have been a huge deal if I broke the previous contract and did move to a different company, but back then, since I was a fresh grad, I was very easily intimidated by a lot of things, and I thought that everything had to be super polished. I think I was pretty adamant about not leaving a huge gap in my resume though. I would hunt down different types of contracts and jobs. Um, during this time, I think I made a lot of informational illustrations. I designed wedding stationery. Um, I also took several corporate contract jobs for graphic design or illustration assistance or visual assistance. I even took up some writing projects. And the clients I met during this time are still my good friends and mentors now. I then eventually ended up joining the Kid Girls graphics team at Jimbury, and I thought that, wow, this is it. The team there was super down to earth, their work was so captivating that I didn't feel like I was working. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to design children's apparel for a very, very long time. Until, shortly after, Jimbury unfortunately ran out of business. And this was back when a lot of retail stores were slowly shutting down and rebranding. So now I was back to where I had begun. So in a way, the collapse of that job marked a totally new trajectory, and I reorganized my portfolio and applied to places again. One of the roles I interviewed for was a visual designer role at Google, and I got rejected. So I kept applying elsewhere and went to different interviews until the initial interview at Google contacted me again, this time for an illustrator role on their team. And here I am, one year later, still working as an illustrator at Google. I never would have imagined myself in tech. I didn't even think about it back in college. But after being here for a year now, I can say that I'm really happy with where I am. And I think having a nurturing manager really helped ease the transition into tech. I still take on freelance illustration projects on the side, but they're more publishing-based than surface design now. To wrap things up, I'm nowhere near where I thought I'd be my senior year in college, but I think I needed to walk the different paths I walked to manifest the very best version of myself and give likes to my unearthed visions. The third question is from Lightning McQueen 23 Things you miss being on lockdown. I think I miss small details, like... I miss marveling at pastry displays at the bakery near my boyfriend's apartment. I miss strolling into bookstores to see what the month's best picks are. You know, like that shelf with the curated list of books with recommendations written on index cards by the bookstore employees or owners. I think that's so cute, but I always go into bookstores just to check those. I also miss standing in line for the $3 dim sum in Chinatown. And for some really odd reason, I miss BART. I miss writing BART. I even miss those weird screechy noises it makes when it goes into the tunnels. 
I used to ride BART to admire all the different outfits passengers would wear, and then I doodle them later. I miss uh, petting strangers' dogs. I miss going to Daiso spontaneously to buy pens and highlighters I really don't need. I think staying at home for this long has definitely humbled and sobered me. It's made me think about what I value and seek in relationships, in spaces, and in myself too. It's made me recognize all the little privileges that were painted into my daily routine without even me recognizing. I think a lot of my friends are going through similar sentiments. I shared a conversation with a friend the other day about how lucky I feel for even the smallest things now, just having fresh air to breathe, having water to wash my hands, being able to still access delivery services, and being able to stay at home with family, being able to be in a safe environment where shelter in place isn't scary. The fourth person who sent a submission wished to remain anonymous, and they asked, what are some realizations or tips you picked up post-grad and... Am I reading that right? Yeah. Or tips you picked up post-grad during the job application process. I just graduated and I'm so lost on how to approach job searching. Professors have tried to help as much as they can. And while they are super sweet and supportive, they have, haven't provided realistic next steps. Also, what are some of your music or show recommendations? So, like I said at the beginning of this recording, this is such a bizarre, unprecedented time. And I think the person who submitted this is already fully aware of that. And I'm sure that professors everywhere are trying their best to ensure their students have all the tools that they need to survive graduation. I can't imagine the amount of anxiety, horror, fear, and just everything that seniors must be harboring right now. It's nerve-wracking enough to just graduate and face the world, but you guys are facing a totally different market. The market was already really skewed without the COVID-19 outbreak, but this has just altered all of our lives dramatically. You have gone through one chaotic semester, and congratulations on surviving one of the hardest graduations there have been in like the 21st century. I commend you for your patience, your bravery, and your hard work. Um, what I can provide is, I guess, the realizations that I ran into when I applied, and perhaps it can serve as a small stepping stone towards an interview. One thing I noticed is that a lot of companies merge graphic design and illustration together. I was really surprised to see how differently um, companies define illustration versus graphic design. At some companies, they're synonymous, but to some clients, they're totally different roles that require a separate team for both. Sometimes I had to be the one to provide the definition for my own role and create my own responsibilities. So when you apply, really check the responsibilities listed and the programs that you will need to be working with. Sometimes the role title may be really unassuming or super intimidating on LinkedIn or Glassdoor, and then you check the responsibilities entailed and it actually mirrors your skill set. A lot of times you don't need to be literate in all the programs they list. You can learn that upon joining. But what's really important is that you're adaptable and flexible and that you have a strong base understanding of what this company or team needs. Don't screen yourself out of the options and feel like you're not suitable if you don't meet 100% of the criteria. While it's absolutely important to eventually fulfill that criteria once you get the job and join the team, most teams don't expect you to have everything right off the bat. 
they'll likely guide you so you can become a great teammate. And if they don't, that sort of reveals a lot about the team culture and they might point signs to being ill-equipped. This is very different though if you are being hired as a freelancer for a determined project. In that case, your client can't hold your hand through the process. In fact, they probably hired you to hold their hand through the process. Also, be open to shorter contracts. You may join a company and not like what they're doing, but it's really hard to walk out of a job when you're tied to a full-time contract with financial ramifications. I think contracts are a good way for new grads to test out different industries. Just don't do it repeatedly. Do it for the sake and intent of learning, not just experimenting. If you have been applying a long while and no one is getting back to you or you're not receiving positive feedback, it's probably time to add new things to your portfolio. You can self-conduct projects that are more specific to the roles you're applying to, and if you get a rejection after interviewing with the designer or manager, make sure to email them. Ask them what they found lacking. And not everyone will reply, but some will, and that there is critical information to make yourself a stronger candidate for the next interview. Always, always remember to thank your interviewers and the recruiter. You never know what opportunity they may come across. And if you make a generally good impression, even if you didn't make the cut for the final position previously, they may consider you for future roles. Okay, so on to lighter stuff, some of my show recommendations. I have been completely smitten with two Netflix productions. The first one is the stop-motion animation series um, called Rilakkuma and Kaoru. You have probably run into Rilakkuma merchandise at some point if you've entered an Asian market. It's the brown bear with yellow ears and blank face. The show centers itself around like the life of an average office woman in her late 20s named Kaoru, who is roommates with Rilakkuma and another bear. They also have a pet bird who likes to clean. Each episode is ever so slightly reflective, um, very nostalgic, slightly wistful, but the lighting, color direction, and handcrafted set is breathtakingly beautiful. They explore a lot of melancholic themes like the anxiety of being left behind as your friends grow extravagant careers or go on to get married. There's another episode where the main character struggles to make decisions because she's very indecisive, sometimes almost too neutral, and I related to that a lot. I love how these episodes help destigmatize insecurity and loneliness because we all carry some shape of it, but I think we're always scared to admit it or we feel like we're being too vulnerable or overly emotional when we share it. Rilakkuma and Kaoru made me truly reconnect with myself and it's a piece that makes you feel an immense capacity to love and be loved. The second production is Grace and Frankie. The series follows the adventures of two vastly different elderly women who become an unexpected pair of best friends. They are left to navigate their last senior years together as their husbands divorce them to marry each other. And the ladies are obviously heartbroken. They start to question their entire lives with their husbands, but their life still moves on and everything is charging full speed at them. But they charge right back with fierce vibrancy. And it's so inspirational to see them interact with each other. 
it's fun to see sides of yourself exist in both of these heroines because Grace is a charismatic type A entrepreneur who is obsessed with her image, but she's also very intelligent and practical. Frankie is a free-spirited artist and junk food advocate who is superstitious, loving, and just really knows how to enjoy life to the brim. The show portrays aging in a very natural, witty way and addresses society's discriminatory gaze towards seniors. You see several scenes where the girls lift each other up emotionally and physically because they have bad joints. I think the show made me envision my future with my close friends and made me wonder what kind of lifestyles we'd lead. What changes will be brought to us and how are we going to nurture them? Watching Grace and Frankie gives me hope that I'm going to be able to lead a life that is, at the very least, honest to me. Those are all the questions I will get to today. My throat feels parched from talking so much. I think this is the most I've talked throughout the shelter-in-place order. I hope everyone is safe and well and finding ways to flourish at your own pace in your homes. Thank you for listening. Writing and production by Asia Kang. Music by Odd Polly.